I'm Tan Trung, and this is the Tan Report. I'm not a big supporter of the media reporting on the media, but I recently found myself watching a brief video posted on Twitter that made me question the way crime is covered in the news. It was from February 22nd in Orlando, Florida. This is every reporter's absolutely worst nightmare. We, we go home at night afraid that something like this will occur. And that, that is what happened here. Um, so again, we are at Orlando Regional Medical Center where we have learned that one of our own, a fellow reporter, uh, has died while, while out covering a shooting. Um, there are members of his family here, along with his fiance, um, who, who are just incredibly distraught tonight. Um, there are other um, media people who are kind of corralled together we, and standing in solidarity tonight uh, as one of our own has just passed. So I'm going to send it back to you guys so I can uh, collect myself and, and get it together. Thank you. The reporter who was killed was Dylan Lyons. He was 24 years old, just a few years out of journalism school. According to local authorities in Orange County, the suspect went on what they call the shooting spree. Earlier that day, deputies say Keith Moses shot and killed a woman in the Pine Hills neighborhood. Dylan Lyons and a news photographer went to cover that shooting. They were sitting in their car when investigators say Keith Moses came back to the original shooting scene and opened fire on the news crew. Dylan Lyons died. The news photographer was wounded but survived. Authorities say Moses then shot a woman and her daughter inside a nearby home. The nine-year-old girl, Tiana Major, was killed. As I was watching the Twitter video, it took me back to the many years I've covered crime, mostly during my time in TV news. I never felt in danger, but I often felt frustrated because it usually was the case that I wouldn't be able to get much information from the police, the neighbors, or possibly the family of victims while I was physically at that scene. And to be fair to that entire situation, is it reasonable to expect that? People are often in a state of panic, shock, or fear if there's been a shooting in their neighborhood, and police are busy with their work. So if I wasn't getting meaningful information, was I really doing my job as someone who is supposed to relay information? Did that do any service to the neighborhood or community where that shooting or crime took place? In light of this reporter dying, those questions seem relevant, to me at least. So I took those questions to Michael Giusti. He's the chairman of the journalism department at Loyola University in New Orleans. I sat down with him at the university's podcast studio. Naturally, I first asked Michael about his reaction to the killing of Dylan Lyons. It turns your blood cold to see something like that. Orlando is a place that's near and dear to my heart. It was my first media market. I, I covered crime in the Daytona Beach area, and uh, we covered the Orlando-Daytona uh, metro area. And to see someone doing what I did 20 years ago and doing his job and uh, getting shot in cold blood, just heartbreaking, and no one deserves that. And so just to see that is just, there's no words for for the tragedy that, that, that you see when, when that happens. It's even tempting to say, well, it's part of the job, but it's not, you know, no one signs up for that. No one says, uh, well, you know, I'm, I'm taking this risk because no, we're, we're out here to tell stories and to, to communicate and, and to tell the community what's happening. We're not, we're in the end of the day, we should not be ha asking our young reporters to put their lives in, in the line of fire just to, to tell the story of, of what's happening day to day. What are you going to talk about with your students when 
you bring this up. Yeah, so we'll talk about there are inherent dangers, and it's rare, thankfully. You know, we're talking about it because it's rare. If it was uh, a common occurrence, uh, you know, you'd shrug it off and say that that was part of the deal, and it's not, and that's a good thing, and that's, that's, the, that's what you take comfort in. But it is inherent in the danger. You know, if we are going to crime scenes, if we are going to the side of the road to cover fatality accidents, there's a danger in st standing next to a live highway. You know, if we are going next to a building where there's a barricaded shooter, there is a danger that uh, shooting can open up. And, you know, we are putting ourselves in the line of fire you trust the first responders to keep you safe you trust the perimeter that they set and you listen to their instructions and you know most of the time it turns out okay but uh, there is inherent danger in what we do what you're telling me now is this something that you often tell your students when you're preparing them to go in the field after graduating here at Loyola? We talk about it. When we talk about crime coverage, we talk about how to compose yourself in the field. We talk about you know, listening to the first responders, listening to their uh, instructions, uh, but you hope that this never happens. You hope that you, you never deal with the, the tragedy of, of a young person losing their life. Crime and reporting on crime is messy. I don't need to tell you that. Do you think that our attitudes in terms of how we consume crime coverage and crime news and crime reporting has changed because of the speed in which it's moving now? Nowadays, you have people with phones that are ready to put it up and they put it on social media and in a way they're community reporters. And I guess my question is, has that changed the way that we consumed news and especially crime? The hopeful part of me wants to say that that's actually a good thing. I've been covering crime and paying attention to crime reporting for years. And this the, the puzzle of crime reporting has, has always rung wrong with me. You know, we, we're, we, it's necessary to, to look at the, the bad things, the crisis that happens in the community. But it never sat right with me because of the lack of depth that we would always treat it. We would look at it hey, here's this, this crisis, here's this bad thing, and then we'd move on to the next one. Kind of like a flash in the pan. Almost. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think that we gave the wrong message uh, when we would tell the story that way. We wouldn't give the, the, the why. We wouldn't give the underlying uh, what was causing this. And so when you'd go up and you'd ask just a random person in your community what causes crime, we'd all have this superficial idea of what causes crime. And you'd think of like maybe a David, David Simon show. Oh, well, it's a, you know, uh, the, this drug gang fighting this drug gang for, for turf. And, uh, you know, you've got this like comic book idea of what's causing crime. Um, when in fact, it's a lot more nuanced. And if you go and actually look at, uh, you know, trigger to gavel, Right, so from the point where someone pulls the trigger till there's a sentencing, you know, all the way to the end, what is the actual cause of most murders is a beef. It's an argument. It's a personal disagreement with someone else. And it's not this comic book vision of, I'm trying to get some turf from you, or I'm trying to uh, you know, rob you for drug money. Most often it's, uh, you beat my sister up and I don't trust the police enough to uh, take you to jail, so I'm gonna now go shoot you. And now your friends don't trust the police to come enforce it on me, and so now they're gonna come and shoot me. And it's a cycle built into the community uh, of breakdown. And so this is a long way of answering what you were asking of, 
now if the crime coverage is shifting into the community and now the community is the one telling the story, the hopeful part of me says, well, maybe now the community is going to be the one who can actually tell this nuanced story of what's causing this, what's the underlying cause. And the underlying cause isn't that comic book idea of crime. It's this kind of rifts in society, this distrust in authority. And if, if it's now the community's job to tell the story, maybe that can help heal that rift in community. So like I said, that's, that's my, hopeful, my hopeful answer. And I apologize for bouncing around because the reason why I'm here is just obviously the, the sheer shock of seeing a news reporter. And obviously it's personal for people who work in the industry because we put ourselves in those shoes. Mm -hmm. Um, so we'll be bouncing back and forth a bit. But I think what I saw with this particular killing of the reporter in Orlando, and especially going back to my television days, is that often I found that newsrooms were trying to, A, cover the news, obviously, but sometimes when things happen, we're just reactionary. We mm -hmm. don't necessarily think about why we're actually covering mm -hmm. it. And that, to your point mm -hmm. uh, just earlier there, and sometimes I think that perhaps maybe we don't need to cover every shooting unless there's certain circumstances. And I know different newsrooms set different standards, whether, you know, if it's going to be a mass shooting, obviously you're going to have to cover that. But if it's something, and I think there's a formula sometimes, and I hate to call it that in newsrooms, that if no one died, then you don't cover it. Uh, and those formulas and those standards start going into play. And I don't know what the circumstances were necessarily for this particular reporter, but I guess my question here is, is sending a reporter out for the sake of coverage enough sometimes? Is it enough to send a reporter when we hear of a shooting? Should we give it a moment and understand what's happening before we send that reporter out? Because things like this can happen. A reporter can get caught in the crossfire, and there was also a nine-year-old girl that was killed after this shooter came back to the scene. But do we need to put more thought into when we send these reporters out and how we assign them? Yeah, when we talk about the ethics of journalism, we talk about the duty that you have. And, and as the assignment editor, you have a duty to your audience to tell the story, but you have a duty to your staff to make sure that you you are putting them in harm's way. And does the, the, the harm that you're putting them... Uh, is it outweighed by the benefit to the community to tell that story? And sometimes it is. Sometimes we, you know, that's what we're signing up for. And we're, we're here to tell the story. And, and yes, we're willing to, to step in and, and put ourselves in, in harm's way. Great. That's part of the, the, the bargain. Um, but let's not take advantage of that. Let's not just, just say, well, since you're willing to put yourself in harm's way for any old thing, let's send you to any old thing. Let's make sure that that story really is worth telling. And let's be honest, I mean, a lot of stuff in news, it, it's a judgment call. Whether you're a reporter, assignment editor, yeah. a news director, uh, a news editor, you can make the wrong call. And when we understand that the human element is always in play, should we apply more, more thought into the approach of, of crime? As you were saying, it's, it's hard to get to the why. Mm -hmm. And it's even harder when you have to pack it into a minute 20 right. with a live stand-up in front of the scene and then condense it and then tell people why. I mean, are we setting people up, are we setting reporters and journalists up for failure sometimes when we're saying, 
try to get the best possible news and do it in 30 or 40 seconds. Yeah, yeah, we do need to be responsible in the stories we tell and how we tell them and, and that big picture of uh, can we successfully, can we ethically tell the big picture, the whole picture. And uh, sometimes we don't know what the big picture is. And so we do have to go kind of, you know, nibble around the edges and tell the little pieces and, and eventually the big picture will present itself. And so, yeah, you do need to go out and, and tell those little snippets as they emerge. Um, but yeah, I do think that a lot of what's missing in, you know, whether it's the social media feed or whether it's the, 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 the hourly news cycle or, or just whatever it is, is, is that big picture context that, that uh, thoughtful story of our community. And that's, that's where I think that we would all benefit to step, step back and, and really focus on context. Is there a platform for that to happen? Do you, do you know of any place that we can actually get thorough, holistic and big picture with context journalism? Well, I think reporting? it belongs on all the platforms. I think it, it really falls on all of us. You can tell that story through all media, you know, it, 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 it can be through a documentary, it can be through a book, it can be through a magazine, it can be through, uh, you know, a nice 30-minute uh, radio essay, right? There are, every media can tell that story. We just need to make the, the conscious effort to sit back and say, how can we tell the meaningful story? And, and that makes, that, that requires us to stop and break away from that that frantic the daily scroll of our life that 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 doom scrolling of our life of just seeing everything go past we have to to, to take that breath and say no 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 what's the big picture and i think that's that's what's missing but we are in an academic <laughs> background here and this is sort of an academic discussion yeah me and my ivory tower i get it well no not i think i think it's worthy to discuss it but i think that in this discussion, we have to realize that, in many ways, the horse has left the barn mm -hmm. when it comes to the doom scrolling. Oh, and absolutely. I think the the industry has set up a, a very large set of barriers for us to actually get context and actually get complete stories. Uh, obviously, I'm biased to the podcast venue mm -hmm. and the podcast platform because I think that you can more digest, you know, these situations and issues in this platform but not many people want to take the time to invest it and where I'm going with this is that the industry itself the news industry has to kind of respond to the demands of mm -hmm. the audience and the audience in many ways is telling us we want things faster we want things immediate we want things with pictures and video and we want it in 15 seconds in a TikTok video and explain <laughs> everything to us in that so I mean, how challenging is it for you to tell your students now this is what you're preparing for? And it might move even quicker when they get into the industry. Well, I can point to some great examples out there of some uh, where they, uh, some newsrooms are using the tools of immediacy, but they're actually reflecting it back. And Washington Post really comes to mind. They've... Uh, uh, well, actually, one of our graduates, Colleen O'Lear, runs a great division of the Washington Post where uh, they do just this uh, immersive, interactive things. And so you, you have these 
stories where as you scroll, uh, it, it shifts from text into a, a, a video that'll autoplay, and then it'll scroll and it'll pull in the uh, infographic, and it's kind of all immersive and using all the different tools that we have at our disposal. And I think that that's what we need to be doing. It's not saying I am a I am a print journalist, I am a video journalist. No, no, no. We we are in this world where we have all the tools. Let's use them all. You know, let's we, 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 we don't need to dig in. Uh, our audience would laugh at us if we said, okay, here's the one thing I want to offer you. Our audience is, why do I have to pick one? Our audience wants it all. So let's say, what are the tools that deliver the piece the best way? And let's use them all, you know? So yeah, sure, they're going to want it, you know, pretty. They're going to want it fast. They're going to want it uh, digestible, but that doesn't mean they don't want it meaningful. And, and that's our job is to say, okay, so you want it to look like this. You want it to feel like this. Great. So while it's feeling like this, here's what you need to know. How do you make crime reporting meaningful in your view? I mean, you started as a crime reporter yourself. I mean, mm -hmm. how, how do you make crime reporting going to scenes, knocking on doors, talking to families of victims meaningful for people to digest? What I've come to after watching it for two decades is that you don't stop with the crime, right? And that's what we often do is once there's the initial arrest, um, we're done. We've washed our hands. We need to actually look at the why. We need to look at um, what was the the motivator? What what caused this crime to happen? What? How did we get here? And ask these kind of societal questions. And so, crime is the symptom, right? And so, okay, cool. Uh, here is what happened. But now let's tell the story of how we got here. Obviously, that takes time, time, and time, and resources, money. time, resources, <laughs> and money. And they're yeah. all sometimes they're all the same, actually. Yeah. And newsrooms. They, they have to run their newsrooms, but they also have to keep to their budgets. Um, mm -hmm. And sometimes they can't budget enough time and they don't have enough photographers, reporters, editors to make that crime coverage meaningful. So how do we, how do we produce meaningful crime coverage? And so now that goes back to your question from a little while ago is, do we send everyone out to every crime, right? So now we say, you know, if, you, if you're looking at project management, you know, you've got your triple constraints. You've got your uh, scope, you've got your cost, and you've got your time. It's a great analogy. Can, when we, can't, we can't add more time, and, uh, you know, if, then if we can't add more scope or resources, you know, we can't, uh, we don't have more money, then we can, all we can do is reduce our scope. We can say, if we want to increase the quality, we need to do m better on fewer things. And so, yeah, maybe we don't cover every little crime, we cover the bigger crimes more meaningfully, right? We, we cover the, the more meaningful crimes uh, deeper. And I, that's, that's my, my, my two cents on it. But uh, I'm, as, a, as you pointed out, sitting at the university, not in the newsroom. <laughs> but it's, it, again, it, it goes back to my point earlier that a lot of this stuff is a judgment call. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, a lot in news, not just in crime reporting, is a judgment call. And you have to respond to your audience. And I'll use an example. Recently, there was a, a lot of car break-ins. It was just a few weeks ago. And many people were reaching out. And I got a lot of emails and saying, hey, you need to cover this. There's a lot of 
car break-ins. I mm-hmm. got my car broken into. On the other side, you'll have people that are living in neighborhoods that are constantly under assault from shootings, uh, you know, fights, whatever it may be, murders uh, in New Orleans, which is a very real thing in the city. Mm-hmm. And you have demands from, from that camp to say, look, we have people dying on our streets here. We have shootings in the mm-hmm. middle of the day. You need to cover this. Mm-hmm. On the other side, where the, the people with the amount of car break-ins, they said, look, this is happening to a lot of people, and this mm-hmm. is the judgment call for newsrooms. Mm-hmm. When you have a lot of people with property crime, and they're telling you, we, you need to cover this because look how many people have gotten their cars broken into. You may have one or two people wounded in a shooting, and if you're just strictly talking numbers, the number of people who got their cars broken into far outweighs or far outnumbers the, mm-hmm. the people who were shot. But you can, there's a solid argument to say that the trauma that the shooting victims have gone through far outweighs what, whatever trauma you may go through with a car break. And so as a news decider, as a news judgment call, like, how do you balance that? <laughs> I mean, you, you're exactly right. You know, the, those are your news values, you know, the, the, the magnitude of the, uh, the number of people, the, the magnitude of the, the, the impact of the, the, the small number of people. Uh, that is, you only have so many resources. You only have so much time to tell the story. You only have so many people to do it. I think that the wrong answer is to try to do it all. And I think that that's the trap that we we find ourselves in where we we say, well, we have to tell all the stories. And while that's noble, and while I understand the urge to do that, that's how people burn themselves out. And if you try to do everything, then you're going to end up doing nothing because you end up burning yourselves out. And you have to be able to be willing to say, I can only do so much, and so this is what I choose to do. And you're going to have to make that judgment call, and you're going to have to have a story, a narrative to why you did it and live with it. And uh, I can't tell you, you know, you, you could make a, a good logical case for either or for both or for neither and say, no, I don't think either of those is the story. Here's, here's what the actual story is, is, you know, it's both, both of them are coming from this other underlying reason. The challenge I think with journalism in general sometimes when we're talking about crime reporting is that it happens, you react to it, you send people to it. And there's very little, I don't want to say logic or thinking placed into it, but it's it's more reactionary. You're not really plotting how do you cover the shooting, you know, near Esplanade and Broad or wherever mm-hmm. it happens. Whereas, you know, we're having issues right now. A lot of people are questioning the decisions of uh, an assistant district attorney about refusing these gun charges mm-hmm. after Mardi Gras, that takes more effort, more mm-hmm. time, and more digging. Mm-hmm. And I think there's the, the argument that sometimes we just go to the shootings and to the crime that is reactionary because there doesn't have to be a lot of resources thrown into it in terms of investment of looking at documents and records. Whereas going into the district attorney's realm and getting to the core of why these charges were refused and you're looking now at the the same dilemma you know does crime reporting detract away from the issues that 
many would argue are still very pertinent to the community and probably sometimes affect more people. Do you I think mean, it's yeah. pulling away from, from that? It can, absolutely. You know, and, and the, the easy story, in it, not just in crime, but the easy story in any beat can take away from the meaningful story in that beat. Do you want to go cover the, 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 the single concert or do you want to cover the, uh, the problems with Ticketmaster? You know, Ticketmaster is going to be a lot harder. Uh, it's going to take a lot more work, um, but uh, it's probably going to affect more people in the long run than the single concert, but the single concert would be a lot more fun to cover. You do have to make the trade-off and you do have to make the value call and, you know, do I serve today's need of filling my news hole and getting my story on air today? That's a noble, meaningful uh, a need. Uh, or do I uh, free up that resource and give someone, uh, you know, say, hey, you're <laughs> everyone else in the newsroom is going to have to work a little harder today because you're not going to have a story to file because you're going to spend an extra day chasing down the DA's uh, records. Yeah, that's that's tough. That's a tough conversation to have. When I hear you say it, it's you know filling the news hole. We, we've all been there. Mm -hmm. you know, if you worked in a newsroom, <laughs> there are slow news days. Yeah. You're, you're not winning the Murrows and the Pulitzers every day. You, you have to put out a product you are paid to do a job mm -hmm. uh, that is no different from anybody at a loading dock loading trucks i mean you those trucks have to get loaded five o'clock rolls around locally here the television stations have to put on a news program mm -hmm. but i have to say that there have been times that i've been sent out in in my reporting career that i didn't want to do it mm -hmm. and i knew that it was a less than noble let's say justification for me to stand out there in front of a camera and tell people that I have very little information. I don't think I brought much context mm -hmm. to those live reports that I used to do. And where I'm going with this, do we need to pull back from that when we're thinking about this is why we're doing it, we have no other stories, or this r reporter's story fell apart, so this is why we're sending him out. And not saying that that's what happened to the report in Orlando, but I know that's happened before in many newsrooms, not in just this city, but across the country. Do we need to step away from that? I think there could sure be a case to be made for that. My bias as, you know, coming up through newspapers, uh, my bias is always toward the, the, the more of the depth and less of the, the daily splash. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm going to come in with the, the bias toward less of the, the daily turn, more toward the, the, the longer term enterprise. So acknowledging my bias, yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to, to always veer toward that. But I do think that there is a lot to be said for being in the community, seeing the faces of the community, showing the places within your community. So, you know, I do think that there is a lack of context that, that the news industry needs, but uh, I'm not ready to say, let's, let's, let's give up on the live shot, because I do think that there is uh, some value in being in the community. But uh, I absolutely take your point that maybe we're doing it a little bit too much. And I don't want to come across as a person who says, you know, we should shut all crime reporting down. I'm, I'm, no. I'm not that person. But I'm also very aware of the stuff that people have told me throughout my career. That why do you guys always put the bad stuff? Mm -hmm. You know, you know the, when we say if it bleeds, it leads mm -hmm. in the newsroom. 
you know, generally speaking, that that's been true throughout my career. Yeah. That if there's been a, a major crime or a shooting near five o'clock or ten o'clock, then it's definitely leading the newscast. I've heard from a lot of people, and they've so always said, you know, is that doing any good? Mm -hmm. Like, why do you always report on this when there's other stuff that's happening, other quote unquote positive news? Mm -hmm. And that's been something that. Uh, has been raised in uh, the press conferences in New Orleans, too, is that the police have said, look, we've done so many great things for toy drives and uh, community events, and you guys never covered that. But when a police officer is caught on camera, on a body cam footage, doing something wrong, then that's all you want, and you're knocking on, banging down our doors. How do we balance that? Yeah, so I talked to my students about this early on in the, the, the beginning journalism class. And I say, it's news because it's rare, right? And so we don't want to uh, talk about everything that went right today. We don't want to talk about the traffic signal that uh, turned green uh, when it was supposed to turn green. Or the fireman who plucked the kitten from the right. tree. That's how it's supposed to work. And it happens every day, all day, all over the city. And so if you run around and telling how everything worked the way it was supposed to work, uh, you you run out of space, right? You, so, so we don't tell how everything that worked properly, you tell about the things that broke. And thankfully, the things that break are the bad things, right? Because if it was normal for the bad things to be happening and it got so normal that we just rolled our eyes and said, ah, it's just another murder or whatever, uh, that would be bad, right? That would be very bad that we are just so used to car break-ins that now we're not covering it. We're so used to shootings that now we're not covering it. You know, that would be bad, that that's just part of our normal and we just accept it. That said, it's really easy to, be get, to, to get jaded and to say, well, I don't want to cover this good thing. I only cover the bad things, right? So there are changes in status quo that are good. And so we do need to be looking but out for them. If we're honest about it too, not saying you're dishonest, but <laughs> I, I've been in situations where I've heard, I've had good stories, mm -hmm. quote unquote, good positive mm -hmm. news, and you'll go to managers and you'll say, "Hey, I, I have a pretty interesting story," mm -hmm. and you get poo-pooed very yeah. quickly because there's other stuff to, co to get covered. Yeah. Uh, and I think that that is part of the sure. mix, you know, and that that's just the reality of news coverage, but. I think there can be an argument that when you constantly cover crime, um, you might be portraying minority groups, uh, certain communities in a certain light that every time that you pop up on television or every time you're on the radio or every time you have a news article, it's always in this particular part of town, mm -hmm. in this particular parish or whatever it may mm -hmm. be, and you know a particular type of person is always associated with it. Um, how do we get around that? I mean, or how do we address that? Yeah, I think that gets back to that depth uh, piece that I was talking about, where you look at the crime not as the beginning of the story, but the end of another story. You know, what got us there? What is, what is the, the breakdown that got us there? Why, why did this crime happen? What's the underlying cause? What's the underlying driver here? What failed so miserably that crime was the inevitable outcome? You know, let's tell that story, not just someone shot someone, but what led to this shooting. And I think that that's, that telling the story of the breakdown within the community can now get to 
uh, how the community should be, and I think we can get to a more meaningful conversation about that community rather than just, oh look, it's that scary place where people get shot. There, there was a comedian that was shot in front of mm -hmm. the Rouses um, mm -hmm. in downtown, and NOLA.com, the advocate, ran the, this reaction from his mother, uh, who is not from here, and she basically just gave a litany of issues that she saw that were failing in New Orleans, and she brought context to the situation here because she compared to what she had in Florida, the services, the the support system that were in Florida that was not here in New Orleans at the time of her son's killing. And I found that very powerful because it wasn't a reporter. It wasn't anybody going out to anything, but it was the decision, I guess, by the editorial staff, by the newspaper to say, we should give a platform and outlet to the mother to tell her story. Mm -hmm. And I think that is an innovative way. I think that's a uh, I don't want to say a creative way, but I think that's a kind of progressive way to kind of tell the story, to give meaning. How do you see us as journalists kind of stepping out of the picture and allowing the community or allowing people to tell their stories, which already they're doing on social media in many ways? Yeah, I think that the more we can move the conversation away from the you know worst moment in someone's life and more toward the uh, context of the community, the more we're doing our job. The bigger role is, is telling the community story, right? And the community story is, you know, why are we here? How did we, how did we come to this? And, and yeah, I think that, you know, the, the, the story of the, the, the mother, you know, speaks to that. And I think that there are you know, other examples where you could point to and say, this tragedy happened because the community was lacking in this way. So let's have those conversations. Does that indicate that we're less relevant as journalists? No, nah, no, we, we, we're, we're helping the conversation happen. And, uh, you know, whatever role I can, I can play to having that conversation, you know, I don't need to be the one uh, leading the conversation. You know, I can, I can uh, play whatever role the community needs me to play. That was Michael Giusti, the head of the journalism department at Loyola University in New Orleans. The suspect in the Orlando shooting is in jail. He's charged with multiple counts of first-degree murder, along with other charges. As Michael brought up in our conversation, there's still the crucial question to why this all happened. At the moment, there doesn't seem to be an answer. The sheriff in Orange County says the suspect hasn't said anything about a motive in any of the shootings. In New Orleans, I'm Tan Trung for WWL Radio.